I'm Lisa Bontesumi, and this is the Ath Mindset podcast series on Sports Epreneur. This podcast series is a space for conversations with athletes, coaches, practitioners, and stakeholders in sports. And it's where those individuals share their perspectives, experiences, and thoughts on mental health in sports. Eric Kazimoff of Sports Epreneur is generously hosting the Ath Mindset podcast series on his platform as he deeply believes that these conversations are essential and deserve to be prioritized. This is the Ath Mindset podcast series on Sports Epreneur. Sports Epreneur, the content platform where sports, entrepreneurship, and mental health collide. If you are looking to start a podcast or create original content, you have to talk with the team at Sports Epreneur. I work with them and I vouch for them. It's that simple. Go to sportse.io to learn more. Welcome, everybody. Today, we are talking to Mike Moore. He is a philanthropist, motivational speaker, a fellow TEDx Wilmington speaker. We got That's where we met, so it's awesome that that's coming to fruition today. He's also, believe it or not, a brain tumor survivor. While at Kansas State University, Moore finished his degree within two years while playing football. He is a former NFL player for the LA Chargers, a huge mental health advocate, suicide awareness advocate, and the founder and CEO of We Live In, geared to help former professional athletes, school systems, and the community by using the power of influence to provide a voice for the voiceless. So I'm excited to have Mike here. Mike, how's it going? It's going fantastic. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. I'm, I'm excited to get, dig into this conversation. So you are, you are many things. You are many, many things. Um, how'd you get started in football? Well, I got started in football when I was five years old. Um, and really even before that, um, growing up, my dad played football. He was still in his chasing the dream um, phase of his life. So he played football all his life. And of course, when I came, he was in his um, latter stages of his career. He was playing semi-pro ball, still trying to get that shot to the NFL. And so I remember growing up, going to his games, going into the locker room and just watching him play and perform. And that's uh, when I came of age, uh, five years old, he said, okay, it's time for you to start that journey. So we got into flag football with the St. Phillips Saints and played a year there. Then we went straight into contact and it was off from there. That's so funny that coming of age is five years old. <laughs> I know, right? They just stay here. Throw you in there. <laughs> We're ready. You can walk. Might as well go ahead and play. Might as so, well. What was the, you grew up in Dallas, Texas. What was that environment like? The neighborhood you grew up in and, and your school? Oh, well, Dallas, Texas, I'm a little biased because to me, Dallas is the best city in the world. Um, Texas football, if you know anything about football in, in general, when you speak about football in Texas, you already know it's hard-nosed, uh, pound for pound, and you only the strongest survive, and that's the mentality that they teach us. Uh, Dallas is a great city to grow up in, a great family city. A lot of the things that I see now was shelter from me. Uh, I wouldn't even say shelter. We just didn't know that it was dysfunctional. Um, mm -hmm. You know, hearing gunshots and seeing different things that we were exposed to. We knew, hey, that's what they did. We need to stay clear. And we was able to see the dangers that were out there in the world. But the difference of what we had back then and what society is missing now is we had the neighborhood that looked out for us. You had the lady mm -hmm. down the street that would whoop your tail if you get in trouble. You had the mm -hmm. teachers that were getting your tail if you get in trouble. We didn't have the sensitivity that we have now in today's society because they understood it takes a village to raise us. And so being able to have that village around us, I would definitely have to say is what helped me be successful and stay on the right, correct path. I appreciate it. No, I think that's, that's really important to note. And it is different now. We, we, we don't look for out for each other in the same way in the neighborhoods. There's so much more, uh, you know, what do they call it? Like our TV, our devices, like the babysitter. It's like, that's what's going on right now. So thank you for that perspective. Um, looking back in this moment, how would you describe your football career? And that includes collegiate and professional. How would you describe it? I, I describe my career as phenomenal. I love it. Um, I, I really would now, being in the state, you said today, being in the state that I didn't mean today, 
yes. I would look at it as a phenomenal blessing. I was able to reach a lot of heights that a lot of individuals weren't able to reach. Um, and to be able to come back from having brain surgery, me and my wife talk about it all the time. Hey, we played football after having brain surgery. What was we thinking? Right. <laughs> but outside of that, I look at it, I look at it as a tremendous blessing and understanding that um, everybody's not built for it. Everybody doesn't have the tenacity. And I thank God for the favor that he had over my life. Um, it was truly nothing but the favor of him guiding us and keeping us and protecting us and surrounding the right people that kept us on track. Cause we had plenty of opportunities. I had plenty of, um, I don't want to say homeboys cause I want to sound professional. <laughs> but I, <laughs> you can say homeboys, that's fine. And people that I grew up with that was extremely talented, but they didn't have, they didn't make it as far as I did. And one of the things that carried me and I look at my career and say it was phenomenal is because now I don't look at it in the mindset of competing with the next person. I look mm -hmm. at it in the mindset, hey, this is my journey. This is my road that I went on. Because in my whole career, coming out of Texas, being a top 100 player out of high school and having a gray shirt and imposed to going into school and play right away, which I was told that I was going to do, that was a block in, that was a block in, and it could have it set me back. Um, and I could have gave up on it because in my neighborhood, you see a lot of players that leave and go off to college. And if they come back before their year is over, if they come back home, you already understand that, oh, they messed up, something happened. Hmm. And during that time when I came back, I was getting those looks like, hey, what are you doing? What you doing back here? Why are you not up here playing? Your, all your classmates are gone playing. What are you doing? And nobody ever heard of a gray shirt. You hear red shirts, um, but nobody ever really understood the term of a gray shirt. So when I had to explain that, because I committed to the University of Minnesota as a junior, um, Everybody was flabbergasted. Why are you not playing right now? And so um, being able to understand at that moment that, hey, my, my course, my career is going to be a totally separate journey than my, pop, than my friends that were off in school and then everybody else that has went before me. This journey that you on is going to be different. It's going to set you apart. And who would have ever thought that we would have came up into 2014? Nobody, like... <laughs> That right there was is a story in itself. So, but yeah, I have to say it was a phenomenal career, and I I thank God for all my experiences because it's made me who I am today. I appreciate it. Wow, there's so many bits and pieces I want to pull from that, but I mean, it's so inspiring and just such an amazing story. I mean, it's a phenomenal story, uh, not just your football career, but like there's more we're gonna get. You mentioned a few things. Let's break that down though. What is a gray shirt? In case people don't know. So a gray shirt is, so when you sign a scholarship for a gray shirt, basically that puts you on their next year draft class or the next year recruiting class. So what that means is you go down to the school in the summertime, you can't become a full-time student. When the fall rolls around, either you're, you and your parents are going to pay out of pocket for you to stay up there and only take nine hours, or you're going to come back home and you're going to wait till you start, till you go back in the winter. And so... What I did was my parents, they weren't going to pay for me to go to school uh, when I had when I was able to come back down, uh, prepare, get my mind right in their mind, you know, prepare, get my mind right, save them some money. And then we'll go up there in the wintertime ready to ready to play, because that's when my clock officially started was 2012, um, December of 2012. I was a part of the 2012 recruiting classes when my scholarship got started. So that's what a gray shirt means. The gray shirt means that. You're not in school that first semester. Uh, you start your you start your clock officially when that winter rolls around and not in that fall. Mm. No, that's that's great. I love it. Yes, ma'am. So when you look at my story, when you look at it, my mama, me and my mama, we go back and forth because she say, son, you started college in 2011. I say, well, no, ma, if you really look at my if you look at my transcript, if you look at my trajectory, I started college officially in the winter of 2012, and I graduated the winter of 2014. Don't give me three years. Give me my two. <laughs> right. <laughs> Even to your mama, you got to tell her that. Like, let's get this correct, because this is what it is. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's so amazing. Again, so much more to pull. You referred to brain surgery. I know that you are a brain tumor survivor. Tell me about your experiences there, the, the timing, everything. 
the fact that you were able to go back and play again afterward is just miraculous in itself. But walk me through that. Okay, so in 2014, at the beginning of 2014, in September 24th, we played a game against Stephen F. Austin. That was going into my, um, I think going into my junior year. No, my sophomore year, junior, sophomore year. We was going into it, and um, after the game, I was having back pain. Um, really didn't think about it, because growing up, my daddy always explained to me, hey, it's the difference between pain and injury. If you hurt, right. that's it. But if you just having pain, we fight through the pain because you don't get recruited and you can't make it to the NFL sitting on the bench. So going through that process, um, what, Monday came around, we had a light practice. Uh, you know, going over with him, had a light practice. Then Tuesday came and we had a really hard practice. And leading up to that Monday, I had started urinating blood, but not telling anybody, not telling my trainers. Mm -hmm. And just through it because I was fighting to be able, I was fighting for a starting position. The season was starting. And so that Tuesday, we had a really hard practice, and I came home and started cooking dinner for my wife. And during that time, I couldn't stand up. I was sitting down cooking dinner. I pulled up a chair to the stove, and my wife was like, all right, now, like, this, something going on. You need to go to the hospital. In my mind, I was like, no, I'm not going to the hospital, babe. I just wait in the morning, go see my trainers. Like, we fine, we good, let's eat. And my wife, being my wife, she said, well, you ain't going to listen to me. I'm going to call your mom and dad. <laughs> so she <laughs> Dad and got him on the phone, explained to him what was happening. And they was like, hey, you need to go to the hospital just to go in get checked out, make sure nothing's going on. Uh, you, you, you urinated blood two days ago and you didn't tell nobody. Like, just go in, get checked out. And if nothing wrong, nothing wrong, you're going to go home. And so when I got there, pulled up, got to the hospital, my trainer, Simeon, uh, Silent, met me there and got admitted. And my creatinine level was at a 3.5. And when your mm. creatinine level gets to a level five, that's when your kidneys start shutting down and you start having problems. And so the doctors let me know, hey, if you didn't come in, you would have had some serious medical problems and probably wouldn't have made it. And so they got me hooked up, got me on medicine right away, trying to fit, trying to get my levels back down. Just worrying about my creatinine levels at a 3.5. Um, they told my school, hey, he got kidney stones. We're trying to figure out why his level's off. Um, he's going to be in here for a while but he'll be ready to come back and play by the time we play Auburn, which is two weeks away. We spent a week in the hospital. Um, my levels became normal, but when they released me from the hospital, my equilibrium was still up. I couldn't keep anything down. I was still struggling, still weak. And so I can't go back and play football. My mom was like, hey, we don't know what's going on. I was getting blood drawn every day. I got blood drawn every day for like three weeks. And they was like, we really don't know what's going on. My mama said, hey, let's order full body in my uh, CAT scan MRI. We went through that process. They got me to inject, you know, put the IV injection in my arm so they can put the iodine in to see where the problem mm -hmm. is occurring. And we went through the CAT scan. Uh, a week later, that weekend, we went and got the CAT scan on Tuesday getting ready to go down to Kansas City for my first son's baby shower, where my wife is from. Instead of getting a phone call from my wife saying, hey, y'all on the way, I'm like, hey, we just got a phone call from the trainers. I got to go up there before I head down. No problem. So we go up there and we meet with Matt Matt Thompson, who is our head trainer, and he has this, this, this bizarre look on his face, this distressed look on his face. I'm like, hey, man, what's going on? Uh, when can I get back to the field? My mindset is, hey, I need to get back to the field. We got a big game coming up. It's ESPN. It's Thursday night. We're playing against Auburn. Like, we got to get to the field. We care to go to the league. We ain't here to just get a degree, if you want to <laughs> say that. And so he was like, hey, um, you got a pituitary tumor. Start going through this. And I'm like, all right. Uh, when can I get back to the field? And he was like, no, I don't think you understand. Like, you have a brain tumor. There's no more playing football in your future. We have to start figuring out things outside of football. And I'm like, what? Right. A brain? Where right. this from? You saying a brain tumor? I don't even, I couldn't even fathom that. No. And so um, after, you know, I went through my emotional spell, uh, him and, and I was still trying to say, hey, how can I get back playing football? You telling me I got a brain tumor? What we need to do to get this thing out? How can I get back to the field? Mm -hmm. Like, look, we'll keep you on scholarship until you graduate. You graduate with your degree. We're gonna set you up with an endocrinologist down in Topeka, Kansas, uh, and we, you know, we'll figure out our protocol how we can move forward from here. But right now, football is over for you. And so, um, we didn't go down to our baby shower. Let's just say that I was at right. the house, crying, going yeah. through my. 
came back after the baby shower and we get, we began that journey on what does life look like after football? Because that's what they told me. Thankful to God, I got an amazing, amazing endocrinologist, Ms. Darcy Sindler. She was phenomenal out of Topeka. We went down there and she was thrown off because at that time when we went to see her, we just had a son. Um, my first son was just born. Um, she can understand, how, for one, how I was able to produce a son. For two, how I was able to play football on a high level with me having a testosterone level as a 77-year-old man. How are you able to do all of this and you have all this stuff going on? And and she even asked me, is your son yours? Are you sure your son is yours? And I'm wow. like, Oh, wow. Wow. Yes. Uh, yes, I know he's mine. And so uh, <laughs> went through all of that and she was like, Look, I gotta reach out. Um, for for one, we gotta get your testosterone down. We gotta get your proactive your proactive level down. We gotta get your body back right. Let's get on some medicine. And they put me on some medicine, but I had to be careful with the medicine because if I took it out of order, I took it wrong. It had the potential of hardening my heart, and I had to take the right dosage. I couldn't miss. I had to be strategic on that. And we did that from the month of October all the way into February and went back and forth going to checkups and she uh i started back working out because she said what they told me was this medicine should shrink your tumor and reduce your tumor so mm -hmm. it could possibly dissolve your tumor you can get back playing ball that was what my mindset was so i came back mm -hmm. to the weight room started working out started working with the team started lifting um and we got into winter ball uh, and we was practicing being at the top with the team um, back as a, at a leader position because I'm a leader. Um, when spring ball came around to get started, we had a doctor's appointment. Hey, get a CAT scan, go figure out where we are. Can we get back to playing ball? Well, when we did a CAT scan, my tumor didn't shrink. It grew. And so, <gasps> and so she was like, hey, uh, you're not playing football. I got to reach out to my colleagues to figure out what's going on. Um, but you can't play football with no tumor. And so we had to sit down and we had to wait. She got back to me four weeks later. and was like, hey, I reached out to eight. Uh, I reached out to nine doctors. Eight out of those doctors said, hey, this guy, first of all, are you sure his son is his? Second of all, how is he able to do this? Third of all, we have to pull his whole pituitary gland out and he'll be on medicine for the rest of his life. And when she gave us that prognosis, uh, you, you could hear a pin drop in the room. We like, what? crack my skull over but she said hold on i'm waiting to hear back from where i did my fellowship at which is at the um at uh, the national institution of health in bethesda maryland she said it's a it's a discovery hospital it's a research hospital you have to get accepted in it but i'm trying to see what they have to say about this because this is a bizarre case we've never seen anything like this usually when you hear about people having a pituitary tumor or my you know the levels off you're in your early 60s 70s 80s um it's, it's really not uh, it's really not, what's the word I'm looking for? It's really not normal for somebody of your caliber doing the things that you're doing, having the success that you're doing to be able to function and operate. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. Thankful to God, the endocrinologist accepted me into the hospital because the neurosurgeon was going to do my, my brain surgery, but I had to get accepted by the endocrinologist. Mm -hmm. Got accepted by the endocrinologist. They flew me down to Bethesda, me and my family down to Bethesda, Maryland in April. Mind you, during that time period at school, I graduated that, that winter. I uh, started my master's program that winter. And before I had brain surgery, I had to finish the first part of my master's program before they was able to operate. So we did all that, did our schoolwork, uh, went down to Bethesda, Maryland, April 7th, no, April 22nd. I had brain surgery April 24th to where they cut under my lip, broke my nose, moved to the side and went through my nasal canal to cut my tumor out piece by piece. And that was the way I was able to play football because if they if they crack your skull open, then you can't play football. You, you can't really have head trauma. And so yeah, that yeah. was yep. what we took. And um, they did the surgery. And but I had to sit down for six weeks. During the process of the surgery though, um, they had to stick the breathing tube, a breathing tube in my, in my in my mouth during the process of the surgery. Well, during that process, they put the wrong breathing tube in. And so they put it in and they had to take it out. And during the process of putting the proper breathing tube in, they cut my throat. So I'm bleeding. So as I'm recovering, I have oh a full. Oh my gosh. 
Oh. I got two long tubes coming down my nose. I have a breathing mask on because I can only breathe through my mouth. And during that process, they having to suction my mouth out um, like every five minutes because my mouth is filling up with blood. <laughs> so the recovery process in the hospital <sighs> was a fight and a challenge. But thank for the God, we got back. Um, flew back to Dallas and I had to sit down for six weeks. I couldn't pick up anything over five pounds and my son got on my lap. That, that was the only way I was able to hold him. I couldn't do anything. And after six weeks, we flew back to Bethesda, Maryland. They did a CAT scan MRI. They said, Mr. Moore, you got a full recovery. Everything is, your levels are back to normal. My eyesight had gotten better because during the process, the where the tumor was sitting at the base of my brain, it was pushing down on my octave, on my octave lenses. Oh, and so wow. I had to start wearing glasses and my vision went back to 2020. My testosterone level was off the off the charts um it was at a 13 year old boy at that time and so um they was like hey you got a lot of hormones going we're not gonna be surprised if your wife pregnant by the time you come back for your <laughs> so, um, after we after we left the hospital we went back to manhattan kansas and we started our journey on getting back to the field that's Amazing. Oh my God. I mean, people can't see, but my mouth dropped and opened. My head went back all kinds of places during the time <laughs> Mr. Mike Moore was just talking about this. And, and there's so much that we can dissect from it. But my thing is, given that, Mike, you're you're back home. You're now, is it am I correct me if I'm wrong, a senior in college or you're done with college, you're into your master's degree. Are you still playing? Yes, ma'am. So I graduated. Um, so how the college world works, since I had a clock, I, I was basically on um, my football clock wasn't over. I had a yeah. red, I had a medical red shirt and then yeah. a gray shirt. So I still had two years left on the field that I could occupy and take care of uh, mm -hmm. and still take advantage of playing football. And so uh, on the on the field, I was classified as a red shirt junior when I came back in 2000 okay. in 2015. Um, and that's where, where I started as a red shirt junior, um, when I came back to the field. And so when I came, when I went back to Manhattan, Kansas, uh, I got back in May and that's when camp had started. And during that process, I couldn't even jog around. I couldn't even make it around the field. I couldn't even jog 50 yards. I had to walk 50 yards. Then I had to sit down and they was like, Hey, this is a slow process. We're going to take it day by day. And my, my trainer, Mindy Hoffman, I thank God for her because she said, Mike, I know you've been through a lot of stuff, but for you to have the recovery that you need, that you want to have, and for your body to heal itself, you have to stay positive. He's like, even if you don't feel it, you have to fake it because all these all these players around you, they looking up for you to lead. You're a leader on this team, but for you to have the success and the recovery that you want to be able to have, you got to be positive during this whole process. And that's what we honed in on, and that's what we focused on, positivity. If we're positive, even the days that I was hurting, I didn't want to get out of bed. Um, it, it, it was a long journey. I didn't think I was having progress in certain things. Um, we faked it till we made it. And being able to fake that positivity, and then when you get around your brothers and your coaches and they see you upbeat and they positive, that made it so much easier uh, and helped me through that process of staying the course and making sure that, hey, it's not about me. My life and my influence that I have on this team is going to be able to take us to a whole nother level this summer. And the work that we put in that summer and the work that they put in that summer, seeing me working at the same time, they helped us a lot that year. Wow. So in some ways, I mean, you've mentioned it as some of the pieces I've pulled out too and, and what you've said so far, you've, you've talked about getting your mind right, your emotions, being positive. I know that that, that mindset's in a really important part of who you are and what you like to develop in other human beings. Tell me, tell me how you got there. I mean, it makes sense through this physical journey, our mental health is going to be also involved in the formula to kind of get better, to get back to where you were. Um, you know, you, you are a mental health and suicide prevention advocate. How does that all flow in together? The whole, the mind, the brain, I mean, you had a brain tumor. I mean, all of this, how does that all connect for you? I really have to say it really didn't connect to me until I got into the NFL. Um, okay. During my journey, uh, after I came back to the field in 2015, my father passed away in September. Mm. 
So every time when September comes around, I'm a little, you know, a little anxious mm-hmm. trying to figure out because the last what during those past two years, it was nothing but hey, event after event, which we had to deal with on a whole nother level. So what actually happened, um, I went into the trajectory during my process of making going to the NFL and playing ball. I became distant from my wife. I became aggressive, um, not towards her, but aggressive on the field. Um, didn't have the patience, and it was more so me being in my head, going through the sorrow, missing my missing my father, and not really having the patience to cater and still be that husband to my wife. Even though I was cooking, cleaning, doing what a husband was supposed to do, um, I still wasn't meeting that need of being a nurturer, provider, things of that nature from a husband standpoint. So, um, getting ready for the draft, I got, <laughs> my divorce was finalized three days before the draft. And so um, when I got into the NFL and I received my first check, I fought. I cried. Cried my eyes out because, for one, my dad wasn't there, which I was only playing football because he played football. For two, my wife and my family was not there with me. And so I really was started to play football to die after my father passed away. I wanted to die on the field because on the field is when I felt he was closest to me. And not being here and me looking like him and and reminding uh, having that hatred built up in my heart, I was like, okay, well, God must not care about me because he took me through brain surgery. I don't know why I had to go through brain surgery. Then he took my father away from me. Like, what's what's really up? (laughs) You know, and then Mm -hmm. I had to go through, then I went through a divorce at the most critical time of my career, getting prepared for the draft. It's like, man, he really can't rock with me. Like, <laughs> like man. So, um, when I was with the Chargers, I got injured and I got on IR. And during that process, I met with my sports psychologist, Dr. Herb Martin, hmm. for a whole year, four days out of that year. The only t- when I when I wasn't meeting with him, he was traveling and gone with, with another team. I met with him and he really helped me talk through and work through the pain, the trauma, because when I got hurt, that's when everything flushed back to me. My father not being there, my divorce, uh, having brain surgery, everything that I had to go through to get there, it just crashed on me. And I was trying to work through that because I miss my wife. I miss my mm. kids. I love mm. um, And I felt that at the time she abandoned me when I needed her the most. And it, it was a lot of hate. It was a lot of anger. And after talking through that, I was able to understand, hold on, that wasn't all just her. You had a big mm. part of playing that as well. Both mm. of y'all were young. She just had two babies back to back. She has a lot of emotions and hormones that still get in the balance. And once I start understanding that, hey, you're dealing with a whole nother human being that you're trying to take two mindsets and put at one, mm-hmm. it's time to work through. And the only thing that I ever quit in my life was my marriage. And that was the thing that dang near killed me. That's why I say suicide. I'm a suicide. I was at my lowest point in life when I was in the NFL. Hmm. Just because of everything else that was going around me. Yes, on the outside, it looked like everything was fine, dandy. But in the inside, I'm hurting. Yeah. I'm hurting, I'm in pain, and nothing was able to cover this feeling. Mm. Mm. No, I mean, I think. Gosh, again, so many, I mean, I could pull out so many things from that. We could have a whole nother podcast episode just on those things I'm pulling out, but like that people have to hear and know that getting into the NFL is not as glorified as it looks by on the outside, by the way media looks like they, they don't even care to know about what's going on with the player on the inside. What, what they've had to sacrifice and go through to actually get there and then sustain it, like stay there and have a career that's fulfilling and, and you being a healthy human while you're in that career. I mean, the fact that that's two major losses, your father passes away, you're very, very close to, I mean, you idealized him your entire life, your wife and your two kids gone. Like that's, that's a, a major grief right there that can then without the proper support lead into depression, severe depression, and then feeling like you want to end your life. And so that is real. And I, I am so happy to hear that you have the resource of a sports psychologist to help you process all that, manage all that. Um, and, and I'm a, I'm a, what is it? I'm going to take the goose out of the bag. I'm, I'm saying this wrong, but like, I want to tell everybody, cause it's amazing. 
I'm telling this part of Mike's story. Mike ain't going to tell it that he's back with his wife. He remarried her, has two more kids. Like, wow, what healing can do, what taking care of your mental health, your brain, your mind can do and to, to heal, to heal all of that can come back to what you've always wanted. Cause that wasn't, I'm, I'm just going to say it. You were, you were in a mental health crisis right then. And like, who, who, who in that space can maintain a marriage? You know, it's, it's yeah. it, much less their own life. So mm -hmm. you pushed up against that. And, and it's such a glorious story to have you come back. I mean, you then you were able to have how many successful years in the NFL with the Chargers? Just one. I had one year in the NFL with the Chargers and that, that breakup was hurtful. Like that breakup, <laughs> was a whole nother relationship gone, right? A whole yeah. nother relationship because at the time, I only seen my life as a football player. Uh, I know right. I was smart, but I felt like my only calling in life was to punish individuals and to play ball, play the game. Cause that's the only thing that I really focused on. Um, and so when that was taken away, when I felt like it was taken away, I went, I, I even spiraled down even more because now everything that I sacrificed for, I done gave up my marriage for, I done did yeah. all this. And now you yeah. saying, you don't want me? I can't play yeah. no more. What am I supposed to do now? How mm -hmm. am I supposed to move? How am I supposed to provide for my provide for myself, let alone play child support and do mm -hmm. all these different things? What is life what is life like now when the crowds are not cheering anymore? Exactly. When, when you walk in and you known to be a football player, but now you're a former football player, and when you don't have that jersey on no more, who are you now? Mm -hmm. I had to go through that process of Finding my identity, understanding that football is what I did, is not who I am. Uh, understanding and, and being able to explain to individuals in the locker room, we're talking about a lot of different things from medical to you have real estate conversations, finance conversations that's going on. So when you're on the outside looking in, you're thinking that uh, a lot of individuals think that we're just dumb jocks, shut up and dribble, mm -hmm. right? Right. To the mental part aspect of an athlete, we have to figure out and pivot on the spot. We, we have to set so many things in play before the play even starts and then think on the dime and transition during action. So a lot of the principles and keys that we learned on the field, it's hard if you don't have the proper guidance and the right mindset to take those skills that you learn and transition them into the work world. Mm -hmm. And it's coming to, when you're playing football, you're on a set schedule. You know when you got to wake up, you know when you got to work out, you know when you have to do everything. But when you retire... You ain't on nobody's schedule. You're on your own schedule. And I don't mind. And idle time is a devil's workshop. They always say, and you really, you really come to understand that when you retire. And and that's such an important point because it's the the loss of that athletic identity when it wasn't your choice. It, it can impact your whole self esteem, your whole self concept, just who you are as a person when that's gone and there's no preparation for it. It's like losing half of you or whatever. I don't even know that's possible, but like, who are you? It's a question, right? And like the structure, everything you just talked about, when you train, when you eat, when you go to sleep, is that structure is provided for you and told of you. This is the expectation. Here's the schedule, read it, just do it, right? And now that's gone and your outlet is gone. How you express yourself is gone. And now you have to do it all on your own. It's yeah. immense. It's immense. I mean, I think um, it, 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 it helps me to see why you would dedicate yourself back to the NFL, back to former players, because you know what it's like. You are the vice president for the NFLPA's Dallas Fort Worth chapter. Tell me about the work that you do there and what your role is as the vice president. So basically what, we, what we're entitled to is to be able to expose the benefits that the PA provides to the players from your HRA accounts to the new player bargaining agreement that just went in place to the, the different job avenues that may be out there bringing individuals into our meetings that can be able to help the players that live in our city. Uh, that's basically what we do. Um, but when I got into my, when I retired from the NFL, one of my mentors became Byron Williams. I met him before I went into the league, but Byron became uh, a close mentor to me when I retired mm. because I seen with the work that he did and I wanted to take over his shoes once he retired. Um, and so he just took me on his wing and started building me up and 
I was able to go to different Pro Bowls and different Super Bowls, just meeting so many players, not just football players, but basketball players and WNBA players and volleyball, all these former professional athletes. And I asked them the same thing. How was that transition? What are you doing now to make money? How are you providing for your family now? And it's a, it's a, it's a cup. I don't want to lie. It's a, it's a ton of them that are struggling. Yeah. They don't know how to, that still don't know how to pick up those pieces and move forward. They're still trying to find that identity outside of football mm-hmm. and, uh, that are just stuck. And when you look at it, and to go back to your point, when you give something up, when you're a player and you retire on your own will, you're giving something up and you're giving away. You have made a conscious mindset in your mind. Hey, I'm done with this. I'm moving mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. Even when you let anything go. But when something is taken away from you, when you wasn't ready for that to be taken away, mm-hmm. that's, a, that's a trauma and that's a part of hurt and pain that some players don't overcome. And so I dedicated my life to helping those players overcome that because I saw a way out. Even though when I went into corporate America, uh, you look at my resume, you see I graduated in 2014 and from 2014 on up to 2018, what have you been doing, Mr. Moore? Well, 2019, when I started going into corporate America, what have you been doing? Well, I played football. I had brain surgery in college. I graduated in 2014. I graduated in two years. Uh, I played football in the NFL. The conversation doesn't go forward. It doesn't go any further. What skills, what assets do you have to be able to come and help my company? It always goes to, man, how was it in the NFL? Wow, you had brain surgery. How was it coming after that? And nobody wants... Nobody wanted to know how are you trying to how are you gonna provide for your family? How are you gonna feed for your family? Because when you look at it on paper to them, I don't have the quality skill set that somebody fresh just came out of college or somebody that's been in the corporate America world that's transitioning over. I don't fit that criteria. Like I said, shut up and dribble is how they how some individuals may look at us during that process. So when battling through that, I found a niche in a way. But at the same time, I see all these other players that didn't have a, that that are still struggling in the day. We need to build something to be able to help them out. And the, at the same time, I graduated um, when I retired from the NFL was when Roger, when the Hall of Fame players presented a package to Roger Goodell, asking him to take a ten million dollar pay cut just so that he could provide health insurance and a pay salary just for the Hall of Fame players. Well. Roger Goodell turned it down, not because he didn't want to, but when you look at the league as a whole, the whole league is suffering with this. How can we just take care of one group of individuals and not take care or try to cover the whole league that's that's suffering from this? And it's not just football that's suffering from this. You got to, when you're done professional sports, you have to figure out what's next. And so um, I said, hey, we need to be able to build something that encompasses all Title IX sports, that empowers all former professional athletes, but also taking those same professional athletes and putting you right into your own community. Mm-hmm. I don't need coming down from California trying to talk to my kids how to survive and raise in these Dallas streets. You don't know the world. You don't know that language. You, it's a whole different scope of life down here. But what you can do is go into your own neighborhood, into your own school system, in your own community, and build up your kids. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. It's amazing. I mean, you talk about mentorship, you talk about being guided, you know, we all can benefit from that. Um, and, you know, the, the special piece that someone like that could take you under your ring, Byron, and not, not, of course, replace your father, but extend what your father would have done if he was here to guide you in that way. And you found a person who could help you with that, to help you with life, that transition, introduce you to people, which is a really, really great story and important to have in your sort of recovery of your mental health back to as close to you as possible prior to all of the losses. I think it's huge. I mean, you are the CEO of We Living. And I think Tell me more about that, but I think you described it already in, in some amazing way, like the ways that you're doing, but tell, tell us more. Tell us more about what you're doing with We Living. So we created a, a evolution evolvable system that we're putting into the schools. It's an in-school program that we created. What that does is it gives the campus five representatives, five former player, five former athletes that will be on your campus through in throughout the day. They're helping you keep the peace. They're supporting the faculty and staff and they're mentoring the students. But we take it a step further and we help the parents out, find jobs, have that 
that mental, that men group, that women's group, so that women and men can have that outlet in their separate groups, but also get support from these athletes. Because, like I said in the beginning, I know it took a village raising this guy. Mm -hmm. I, know, <laughs> I know my mom and daddy went everywhere, and I felt like I can get away. But when you have a village that's able to keep these kids mm -hmm. on track, and they have individuals that have made it to a high pinnacle, not just for student athletes, but our program is for the whole school system. Because if you look at it, student athletes have a lot of individuals that pour in them and that keep them on track of not messing up. But what about the regular student that doesn't have mom and dad at home or only has one parent that's working two or three jobs? Who do they mm -hmm. have supporting them and lifting them and motivating them up? And so when I went into Lakeview Centennial High School and I retired and I got back to Dallas trying to figure out how can we build a program for the schools for student athletes, that's when I discovered that piece. Hold on. These student athletes got a lot of people that's pouring in and out. Teachers are looking out for them, faculty, community. But these regular students that are trying to figure out the day-to-day -day life, a lot of them don't have that support. So how can we provide that support? Also, bring these student athletes back to life and let them understand you're a student first. You're yeah. athletes. You're forever yeah. students. And so being able to bring them back down to size and understand that some of y'all may go pro, for some it ends out the high school, for some it ends out the college. But you have to figure out whatever stage of life you go into that profession, you got to figure out what you're going to do next. And who better to hear that from for the student athletes from a former professional athletes, but also who better to hear that from to these regular students? Hey, you have to, if you're able to figure out what you want to do to provide for your family now, just think about where you'll go and how far you can go once you graduate and get out of it. Let's start the work now. And so bringing in different curriculums that can help teach financial literacy, teach personal development, have job placements in trade schools that we have going through our program so that you can get in the trade if you don't want to go to college. Mm -hmm. college everybody and we mm -hmm. understand that, but we do need carpenters. We do need plumbers. We do need, do need woodwork. We do need mechanics. You can go into this route and still have a successful life. And when I looked at the school system, I looked at it as, okay, you're only teaching chores and tests, but you're not teaching the skills and the tools that we need, that these kids need to be able to be successful out of life. And then a lot of the times when you look at the parent-student ratio, I can work with a kid all day at Lakeview Centennial or at Skyline High School, but when they leave out of my care and they go back home, they go home into a natural reset. That natural reset, they facing the same stuff mm -hmm. that broke down when they get back home. So how do we eliminate that natural reset? Well, we work with the parents and we work with the students. Because if we're able to give pour into the parents at the same time as the student, now you're building that family unit back That's together. Right. Now That's you're right. growing together and you're able to take care, uh, look after and be able to help those fathers that are trying to do everything that they can, but it's just not fitting. You just may need a little help or a little guide. And now you're able to help that mama that's working two or three jobs. They need help with a baby boy. I need help with that baby girl. Now you got a village that can help pour into them and be mm -hmm. able to keep them. So your parents are human beings too. They have emotions. They feel angry. They feel mad. They feel sad. They feel all this. At the same time, trying to provide for you. Let's show a little grace. Let's work through this and get to the root of it so that we can all be successful. And whoever... Who, who better else to use to get your attention than a former professional athlete? And that's why I say we use the power of influence to provide a voice for the voices. Let me capture your attention. And once I get your attention, I can feed you all the information that will better help your life. But if I never use the individuals that can grab your attention and that has touched some form or shape of uh, success, then we just, I, I don't want to say it, but we pissing in the wind. <laughs> <laughs> Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That's amazing. I mean, and, and you are with, we live in, you know, it's, it's obvious. It's your passion. You're living your purpose. You're throwing your heart into this, your soul, your spirit, you know, it's, you know, faith driven. Um, it's, it's obvious. And so, you know, I know what you're doing is helping so many, so many people and the generations to come. I mean, like you're impacting these young students They're you're impacting their grandkids by changing the way that you impact their family tree and the resources that you're giving and the influence, like you said, it's just, it's really amazing to hear. It's so amazing. Um, tell me now, 
as, as we kind of think to wind up, when we talk about mindset, mental health, a positive approach to even the most, you know, horrific trauma and tragedy, how do you describe your mindset right now? Like, how would you describe it? How would you talk to somebody about it? If, if you had a classroom of students who are like, Mr. Moore, tell us about your mindset. How does it work for you today? And like, how do you describe it? How do you express it? What would you say? Okay, so when I'm sitting down and I'm talking to students, uh, and how I take my everyday mindset is that I'm a spiritual guy. And so one of the things that I realized when I look back on the things that I went through from having brain surgery, uh, losing my father at the time that I did, I understand that, that my life is not my own. Um, still to this day, I don't understand why I had to have brain surgery. But when I got done playing my last college game, I had a mom and I had a daughter that came up to me. Uh, we played Texas A&M and we, we whooped that tail. <laughs> but when we got back to the hotel, you had a mom and a daughter that was standing right there. And she came up to me, this, this frail little lady uh, came up to me and said, Mr. Moore, I had to come meet you. I have a brain tumor right now. And I don't know if I'm going to live tomorrow. And I told my husband I needed to come down and see you and meet you in person. And she's standing there with her baby girl. And here I am, 24, 25, not understanding what I, you know, just, hey, this is something I had to go through to get back to the game. But God showed me that after, uh, in one of the darkest times of my life, and was like, hey, your life is not your own. You, are, you, well, you prayed a prayer when you were younger and said, God, use me for your will. Mm-hmm. And when praying that prayer and asked him to use him for my will, he said, you don't know how I'm going to use you. But you had to go through that and make it out of that so that you can be a testimony and a mm. motivation for others that may be going through something similar or that may be down and out. That's not even touching the scraping the surface that you're touching it, that you had to go through. But you go through it to help bring other individuals out. And so when you talk about, Mike, what is your mindset? That's the first thing that I wake up and I say every day, my life is not my own. I'm a vessel mm. in the tool to do guys mm. with. When I, and after I go there, I have a clear understanding of the human body of the human brain and how people function like i did a lot of studying studying people i read a lot of john maxwell books and a lot of books that's talk about how do you work with people um how do you get the most out of people how do you work with the best out of people and being able to understand the, the way that the brain processes and how we break things down and how certain individuals think on this scale and think on this scale and understanding that traumas is truly what shape a lot of individuals and why they are today. I'm able to look at individuals and work with people from a standpoint of not being judgmental mm-hmm. and finding out the root of why you're acting and responding the way that you respond. And it may be good. It may be bad. It may be in between. That's for somebody else to judge. But my job is to be able to help you, Get, become the best version of you by working through your stuff. Don't work through nobody else's stuff. No, let's focus on you. Let's not worry about what your mama doing. Let's not worry about <laughs> what this person is saying, what your dad is. No, let's focus on who you are and what you want to do and where you want to go. And when you focus on building yourself, everything else will build around you because I always tell individuals, you're building something right now, not for you. It's for your kids, kids, kids. Or is it better to help your mommy and your daddy make their load easier? You said something. I built my whole life and I live my life off of a Jewish principle, which is marriage. And so what married is, you're giving, you're, you don't create merit for yourself. You create merit for the ones that have went before you, and you create merit for the ones that are coming behind you. So me understanding that, that everything that I'm doing in this today's era is not for me. It's for my kids that's coming up behind me and every other player, every other generation that's coming behind me that will face this one day. But it's also for the older players and the former players that are older than me that have paved the way for this game. They just haven't had that resource to help them break through that psychological barrier of being hurt, being taken away, being abused, being used because they didn't understand that this is a business. Yeah, yeah. They don't teach us that. And so when you understand, with my understanding of knowing that, hey, we live in a world of systems within systems. And when you understand how the system works, don't be a victim of the system. You learn that system so you can maneuver your way through it. Mm -hmm. I'm not sitting here 
uh, crying about stuff that happened in the past. I look at it, I identify it, I take the emotions out of it, and I make a clear conscious choice, because we all have a choice, to move forward and to make a change. Not to just sit here and talk about it. Let's stop talking. Let's yeah. put action behind it and make a difference and make a change. And your greatest resources and your greatest investment will ever be in people. When you do things and help people out, God will provide ways and bring everything to you that you need. But when you just think about it from a selfish standpoint, that's when you become stagnant, hurt, burdened, and broke. And I done been there. I don't want to be like that no more. <laughs> no, no. You've been there and come this full circle. I mean, I think that it's it's a it's a beautiful testimony of your deep faith, your belief in God, and the 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 marriage of that alongside the psychological perspective that you learned from your sports psychologist, like putting it together, but like, whoa, what a foundation that is and a place to like build everything from. I couldn't agree with you more that relationships are everything. You know, if we can't help someone um, or bring someone along or any of that, we're really, I don't think living our full potential. So I'm just, I'm grateful to know you. I'm grateful to have heard your story firsthand. I know it's going to touch so many people. I mean, I, I fought, I fought back uh, a few tears while we were, while you were talking just cause I'm going to let them flow, but I didn't want to like make it have me not be focused on the next moment with our, with, with you here together. Yes. Sir. It's, it's a moving, it's really moving. Um, and I just, again, appreciate you spending the time with me here and you know let's keep helping people let's do it together i mean anyone who yes, listens, anyone who listens to this will be helped will yes, be touched will be moved so i can't appreciate you enough one of my favorite things about our sports epreneur content platform is the opportunity to chat with amazing people in and around the world of sports we hope you enjoyed the conversation if you want to connect more hit us up on instagram at sports epreneur Thank you for listening to this CadSource production, the Sports Epreneur Podcast, the podcast where sports and entrepreneurship collide. Sports Epreneur is a content platform, a collaborative team, and a marketing brand that is all about showcasing leaders and difference makers in and around the world of sports. When we create our own content, we also create content with you. This includes collaborative content and exclusive content for your brand. Think podcasts, blogs, social media, and overall content strategy. Our sports content marketing team is specifically niche for those in the sports industry. That includes sports businesses, athletes, managers, coaches, trainers, entrepreneurs, and business leaders in the sports market. The bottom line is we want to help with your sports-related brand, your content marketing, and your story. Connect with us on Instagram at sportsepreneur or find us online at sportsepreneur.com. Sportsepreneur, the content platform where sports and entrepreneurship collide.